The Start On Demand. On demand. Level orange restrictions take effect in Winnipeg schools today as COVID numbers continue to rise. Are more restrictions on the way? Ethan Boyer died on the South Perimeter one year ago this week. We spoke to his mother today about how his family honored him on Sunday with a memorial. NASA has some big news today about the moon. And Brian Bowman says he will not seek another term as mayor. If you were running for mayor, what would be your big campaign promise? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Monday, October 26th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us on a Monday morning. And of course, lots to discuss as it pertains to COVID-19. But we do want to put that aside for just a moment because Friday afternoon, it was 2.22 p.m., I believe. And I'm watching Borat's subsequent movie film. And I get a text from Greg Mackling that says, Brian Bowman. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what is, uh, what's happening here? So I pressed pause and went on Twitter and went at CJOB.com and... Holy smokes. Big announcement on a Friday afternoon, Greg. 2.22 is apropos because two years from now, Winnipeg will elect a new mayor. Brian Bowman will not be on the ballot. And I don't know how many of us saw that as a reality or even a possibility, Loren. But the idea, the notion that Brian Bowman is giving those that might be interested in replacing him as mayor two years advance warning, I think is a pretty classy move. Well, I think what happens is that within the next year, those questions start coming fast and furious, right? Are you going to seek re-election? What are you doing? And that can often just detract from the work that gets to need done, get, needs to get done. And so he's just saying, just in case anybody was wondering, I'm out. I'm out in two years' time and have at her for anyone else. And so that, of course, had uh, a lot of people talking on Twitter about making their <laughs> faux campaign promises. I'll just say this. It's probably, of all the political jobs to be had in this country, it's one of the most thankless ones in the sense that it's you have, you you have no control over your income you can't change your taxes and by the income i mean the city's income you have very little power you have to constantly be looking to the province and the feds to come in on projects with you that all depends on where they're at and, and how that relationship works and so it's a, as hard as we've been in the mayor sometimes and i think sometimes deservedly so maybe sometimes not uh, that job is a job that if you think you want it, you might be a few days into it before you realize, what do you mean? <laughs> I have to balance my books, but can't bring in any extra income. I can't charge new taxes. I can't do this. I can't do that. I mean, I think it's safe to say we could all make promises and then wake up the next day and be like, oh, so I don't have the power to do that. Okay. Hmm. Well, you, so, can, yeah. you can make all the priorities you want, sure. but many of them and implementing those quote unquote promises include or have to include some sort of buy-in from the province and or the federal government, but uh, you are also still the leader of the city of Winnipeg, and, and painting your vision, I think, goes a long way in terms of getting that buy-in, and uh, I think um, a lot of people would agree with me that Brian Bowman, for as uh, some of the things that he's done that you would uh, 
quantify or qualify as good, I, I think that's where he's fallen short is the lack of vision for the future of the city of Winnipeg. It feels like we're scrambling always to catch up. And that uh, tradition seems to have continued under this mayor. So here was what we want you to do. We need you to text us. And we'll get into this more at 645. But we would like you to text us your campaign promises, whether you have a serious one or just a ridiculous one. Like we, Twitter was a lot of fun on Friday night with people making campaign promises, including you, Greg. But uh, one of uh, our loyal listeners, I believe, her tweet, one of the first things, because she just wrote out like a tapestry of campaign promises. <laughs> and I think she let off with, I would fix that stupid stretch of Arlington that people think is too late. But it's actually only one lane each way. (laughs) That's from Portage (laughs) to Notre Dame. And I don't know why it's taken the city so long to come up with a strategy either for bike lanes or some sort of parking or bump outs that would clearly indicate whether or not that's one or two lanes. Because, Loren, that's my old neighborhood. And I take the approach (laughs) on Arlington this way. If I'm in a hurry... It's two lanes. If I'm not in a hurry, it's one lane, and I don't mind enforcing it myself by kind of driving right in the middle of the center line and the curb. It's kind of how I am on a snow day. When you can't see the line in the highway, you're like, well, I'm just going to go down the middle till a car comes because right now I'm not sure if I'm on the left or right side of the road, and so I'm just going to go extra slow and just kind of hover in the middle. So text us your campaign promise. What would be your big campaign promise? 204-780-6868 for a chance to win some Santa Lucia pizza. Coming up at 845 today. Excited about this one. Loren, we're going to space. Yeah. Honestly, I know there's so much going on in this world right now. These are tough times. And so sometimes I think it's okay to dream. And I think there are tons of people who have dreamt or thought about the possibility of going to space. Well, NASA, a good four days ago, it put out a release saying that it's going to have a big new announcement today. New science results about the moon or new results about the moon. A lot of people speculating that it might be the place that we could land on the moon before we head on to Mars one day. And so that announcement, I believe, is coming at... uh, Um, noon Eastern time today, so around 11 o'clock our time. But we'd like to dream with you. Like, Would you ever go to space? Would you you think about making that trip? What wouldn't you want to do? I I could go to the moon. I don't want to go beyond the moon. But I'm interested in the moon. I, I feel about space the way I feel about the ocean. Once you can stop seeing, say, the edge of land in the ocean, I'm done with it. I'm not interested in that. And space, to me, the moon, you can still see the Earth. So it feels... Yeah, there's the earth. We're close enough. But once you get beyond that and you stop seeing stop seeing home, that's when I'm out. I thought that that's how I would feel out in the open water like that. But when I went on a cruise in, I think it was 2012, um, 2012-ish, I don't know. Uh, I've, I don't think I've ever been more relaxed than when we were out in the middle of the ocean and couldn't see anything. For in, in, No matter which direction you looked, you could see nothing but water. And I found that very relaxing because it was nice to be untethered so to speak from my because I didn't have my my phone wasn't working so it was just me and my then girlfriend and the friends we were with and that's it and it was beautiful and it was serene and peaceful however uh in the event that there was a problem you yes. know rescue would be imminent whereas in the, the the endless darkness of space uh that that would be a slightly more terrifying i think well i've watched a couple of episodes of away and they have to do this spacewalk very early in that series and the tension 
of understanding and realize that one false move will actually have you hurling through outer space with nothing to latch onto, nothing to stop you. Like this, basically, this is the last stop before yeah. like the sun. And uh, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, you're going to be in big, big trouble. Yeah, that's that's a little bit uh, anxiety-inducing, I would say, even just watching it. As yeah. an aside, great series. I really enjoyed that with uh, Swank. That's got, I, I got to get on that at some point. I've been watching The Crown uh, in Ooh, anticipation. also excellent. Yeah, I'm almost done season two, getting ready for season four, uh, since Princess Diana is going to be in that one. So that'll be worth a look. That's out November 15th, by the way. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. You know, guys, this morning I uh, put on my rings. I haven't worn them in a while. And I thought, why have I? Why did I stop wearing these rings? I got a diamond ring that my dad gave me. It used to be his. And a ring that my mom had made out of a diamond ring that she used to wear until she got an, developed an allergy and could no longer wear them. Oh. Uh, so she had this ring made for me. Uh, I used to wear them all the time. And then I stopped. And now I've remembered as I... Put on the sanitizer when I put have to when I put on thirty coats of hand sanitizer every day at work. I always have to take my rings off <laughs> to get so under, to, It was easier just to leave them off. Yeah, uh, but we gotta put on that hand sanitizer. I like the noise that it makes though. When oh, you, when your rings knock together. Oh, well, it's yeah, that's nice. kind of fun. A little clicky. Um, but listen, I mean, we gotta keep putting it on, especially as a Saint Boniface hospital doctor is not. Mincing words, writing in a Facebook post over the weekend, we are on the brink. This is what happens when we let our guard down, have too many contacts, relax, and go out with too many people. We're going to speak with that doctor who made that public plea to Manitobans just after 7.07, but right now we want to ask how the latest numbers are making you feel. Now, we knew heading into the weekend that schools in Winnipeg and northern Manitoba regions were already going to see new restrictions as of today. Global's Eric Pandera now with what's coming. From one meter meters, with the province advising schools to move desks and seating and repurpose other spaces to facilitate physical distancing and new temporary remote learning options. Part of heightened rules in schools while cases of COVID-19 rise in Manitoba's capital. A mother of two says she wants her boys to keep going to school as long as it's safe. Like I have so many friends that, oh, they need to shut schools down. They, no, they need to keep kids in school as long as they can. The government needs to do whatever they need to do. Space it out, get, hire more teachers, hire more supervisors to help spread out these classes to keep the kids in school. Saying in-person learning and the socializing that comes with it is a positive. Adding she thinks the new remote learning option will help keep the students who do go to class in person safe. But that doesn't mean she's not concerned. Not to say it's not going to change. If if something changes and all of a sudden cases are going up in schools and there's community spread in schools, my opinions might change. The new protocols also include medical grade masks for teachers and staff and are going into effect on Monday. Eric Pindera Global News. So we know that uh, some schools were able to find that 
space within their facilities in order to allow to, for what has to now be that two meter physical distancing. Remember back in the summer when we talked about September approaching, the recommendation was to aim for two meters, but where that wasn't possible, it was okay to have one. Well, now they're saying, no, we need that space. And so I know in some schools that means classes are being split up so that they can have more spacing. And then as a result, the, some of the older kids are being sent home. After eight, we're going to visit with the Seine River School Division to hear more what they're doing to uh, meet these latest restrictions. But I, I I have to say, this is one of the biggest conversations taking place in my circles. Obviously, I'm a mom. i got two young kids. And as far as I'm concerned, I get it. We have to control community spread. We want to keep these cases down. We do not want to see more hospitalizations. That's the number we should all be watching. It's about what our hospitals can handle and the capacity there right now. But I also do not want to see any more changes coming to our schools beyond what's coming today. So for me, the, the thing that makes me sick to my stomach right now is the idea of going back to something we saw in the spring. And not that we all didn't do our best, mm-hmm. but back then we were just living with it, right? Those, that felt like a short-term thing. This feels like a lot more of a long-term strategy now in terms of keeping our kids educated and keeping them in school. And I don't think, unless we're going to throw a whole bunch more money at this, which maybe we should, in terms of EAs and better technology and, and walking parents and teachers and kids through the next few months, unless we're going to do that, uh, this remote learning is a challenge for everybody. And I, man, do I feel for the teachers today who are waking up with another thing added to their list to try to get done. I know at least one teacher who was in her classroom till midnight Thursday night after this announcement was made. It was a SAGE uh, conference, development day for most teachers in Manitoba on Friday. So uh, there were teachers who were making the arrangements for today, either Thursday night or over the weekend to make sure that they could accommodate this change. It was teachers themselves in many circumstances who were actually moving desks around, moving furniture around with the help of custodial staff to make sure that these uh, changes took place. I know at one school on Friday, the kids all moved uh, their desks, those that were in school on Friday. Not all schools were, were off Friday. Friday. And uh, I know of another school where the grade seven and eight class is now in the gymnasium. They're facing opposite walls of the gymnasium. What I don't understand is that for most of us, when the plan for reopening the schools in September came out in the middle of August, how many of us looked around and said, why are they compromising on the two meters of distance? Why is two meters the recommendation with a little bit of a caveat that says, or the best that you can do. And I guess the other side of it is, Loren, you talk about not wanting to, you know, any more restrictions. These restrictions are being made based on what? What's the evidence here? Because the contact tracing and where the community spread is originating and how we're catching this is unclear at the moment. We don't even have a good handle of what's going on. So is is this... Uh, a, a precise answer to a question and a problem that they're trying to solve in the schools? Or is this a, a, a dart at a wall full of balloons hoping to pop a balloon that is the answer to hope, hopefully slowing community spread? I'm unclear as to why they've made this decision. Well, it wasn't so long ago. I think it was in the last two weeks that Dr. Rusin said things were actually going okay in our schools in the sense that, yes, of course, there were some outbreaks. Of sure. course, there were some cases. But for the most part, he was pleased with how things were going. And I don't know what's shifted that's moved, that's required this change. Other than part of me thinks that there's a psychological reproach here. This is what's going to happen if we don't start reining in our behaviors. And what's the thing that's going to make you think twice? And is it 
change further changes to your schools. I don't know. I, I hear what you're saying. What's the science behind saying we have to go towards these heightened restrictions in order to get control on this? And I don't know if that's there. What I do know is that feeling in my gut that is that is making me feel sick this morning is about this idea that I don't know how much more the system, whether it's the hospital system, the personal care home system, your school system, and the family home system can take when it comes to trying to deal with this. And so it feels like it's a, it's, we're starting a whole new era of this pandemic. It also almost feels like today is the first day of it mm-hmm. to a great extent, as, as high as the numbers went this week. But it just feels as though we are now right in the thick of it. And Brett, uh, my boys had curling this weekend and to a person, anybody that was talking to one another, the sentiment was, I hope that this isn't their last curling. There's already that sense of what happens at Christmas. People are looking, it's, we're eight weeks from Christmas. What happens next? And that's, that's the overriding sentiment and concern right now is, are we going to have to cancel all sports? Is Christmas next? I was at Safeway on uh, River in Osborne Village on Saturday, late Saturday afternoon. And as I was walking up the aisle, uh, going the, the right direction according to the one-way arrow and trying to decide what I wanted to buy, three people came into the aisle ignoring the mm-hmm. one-way arrow. Uh, one, There was two people, in a, they were a couple, a young man and a woman, and then a woman who I want to say was in her 50s or 60s. And uh, so I hastily grabbed something. I hastily grabbed the... Uh, jalapeno cheddar Cheetos. Wasn't quite sure what I wanted. I just grabbed something familiar. And then I got out of there, but I had to weave my way through them. And I wasn't going to say anything. And then I thought, no, my inner Larry David came out and I said, you know, you're all going the wrong way. And the young woman lipped off at me and said, oh, whatever, fight the power, man. And then the older woman said, yeah, yeah. So with that kind of attitude starting to grow, I the, the main thing I fear is just another shutdown uh, because one of our listeners, Brad, pointing to, you know, what about the secondary consequences of a sh- another shutdown, like the effects it'll have on mental wellness, never mind how many businesses will fail to survive after that. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, for those just tuning in, or if you were listening earlier, it was actually 2.27 p.m., not 2.22, 2.27 p.m. Friday afternoon. I'm sitting at home watching Borat, subsequent movie film. Greg texts me and Loren, Brian Bowman, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. So I had to pause and see what was happening. And uh, the announcement, Greg, what was the announcement from the mayor? Mayor Brian Bowman saying he will not seek another term, does not see himself as a uh, lifetime politician or a career politician, I believe was the word that he used and uh, is giving anyone who's interested in the job he now has two full years to prepare, get their campaign plans in order to get your your pledges ready to get your campaign promises uh, put up in uh, poster form or however you pledge to to do that. So So we want to know what your campaign promise would be, your big campaign promise, whether it's something serious or just something ridiculous and fun because Twitter was a buzz on Friday. Uh, Even Greg threw out a few campaign promises, uh, which were quite amusing. So text us at 204-780-6868 for your chance to win some Santa Lucia pizza. We've got Kelly Moore here, Jeff Braun, Jeff Fortier, and uh, Jeff Braun, why don't we start with you? What would be your campaign promise? Well, let's see. How does this grab you? I say 
We add one week to every month from March until December, <laughs> then eliminate January and February, and then spring will come that much quicker. <laughs> Science. Oh, makes sense. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> absolutely brilliant, Jeff Braun. And, and Same I'd amount like of days build- in the year. I'd like to build on Mr. Braun's campaign by saying that from now on, the snow clearing budget will not be needed because we are canceling snow in Winnipeg. Oh, even better. Nice. Holy crow, you are really going to the to the top <laughs> rung of this uh, promise ladder, Kelly Moore. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff Braun and I are just discussing whether we're going to run as a ticket. He'll uh, he'll he'll be the mayor on even weeks, and I will be on odd. Which week. <laughs> I'm in. So. How would you propose we cancel winter, Kelly? Would there be would we build like a biodome around the city of Winnipeg? No, were you not listening to Mr. Braun? We're okay. canceling December and January. They will not exist. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair That'll enough. Do Don't snow on our parade. And Jeff Braun, uh, what about would a secondary promise involve? Because you all, you've always had a beef with uh, street signs in the city of Winnipeg. Yeah, they need to be uh, bigger and more than one on every like at every intersection. Just because uh, often, you know. Well, also I drive halfway through the stop sign, so I'm usually at this exact same level as the sign. I can't read it because I'm right beside it. So <laughs> I would add way more street signs to the city for sure. That's what we need. <laughs> Jeff uh, Forte. I would like to relocate the rail lines. Oh, get them, get them out of the city. Make that into uh, light. Rail transit or something, you know. Plus, it would help out with traffic. You don't have to wait for trains anymore. Yeah. Boom. Done. I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. Okay. So we have a serious suggestion. What about uh, Loren McNabb? I like the rail lines. I would reopen Portage of Maine. I would add more roundabouts because they are fun. I would have some sort of light <laughs> rail as opposed to bus, fast bus. And uh, I would bring back Bonanza, the Bonanza Steakhouse. <laughs> 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 because, yes. you know, I mean, this is a non-COVID time. So if there was no COVID and you could have better buffets, I'd bring back that steakhouse, man. I thoroughly enjoyed that as a kid. Not sure if I'd still like it as a 43-year-old, but Bonanza, baby. Yeah, I loved it. My mom used to take my sister and I to Bonanza all the time for their buffet. I <laughs> ate so much of their soft serve ice cream. I would oh, often, yeah. and she, sometimes I would start with the ice cream and I'd come back to the table and my mom would say, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, hey, it's a free-for-all. No rules here. <laughs> what about well, you? in our family, there was four kids, and so the rule, we hardly ever went to restaurants, but when we did, it was water only. You never got pop. You shared fries. And so on the odd occasion where you go to Bonanza, you can just imagine the four of us were just like, 97 Cokes, please, all the fries you can eat. Like, just lost our minds. <laughs> I once got kicked out of a Bonanza for taking the breading off the all-you-could-eat shrimp. The manager came up. You can't take the breading off the shrimp. I said, I didn't see that on the sign anywhere. It was steak and all the shrimp you could eat. The breading is just empty calories, man. And you got kicked out? I said, you can't have any more shrimp. I'm like, (laughs) are you kidding me? can't do that. That's insane. I know. Sounds like a bonanza I can get on board with. That's going to be my rule when I bring that back. What? What? You have to leave the breading on the shrimp? I thought oh, only Homer please. Simpson got kicked out of buffets, well, like like when the the 
the the restaurant owner says, "I tis not a man, tis a remorseless eaten machine." <laughs> oh, my buddy Harry and Brandon's listening right now. He's probably texting right now, going, "I remember that." <laughs> what would your campaign promise be? Well, Michael? I launched my campaign with one word on Friday night, and that was monorail. Okay, but then I realized that a water park, an indoor water park, is far superior to a monorail. Scott Billick of the Winnipeg Sun took my campaign promise to return Chi-Chi's to all its glory and bring it back to Winnipeg. <laughs> so I had to one-up him and say that the newly closed uh, Bay store would be reopened after we demolished the Bay as an Eaton's store because everybody <laughs> wants to bring back what was old. So uh, those were my big campaign promises on Friday. But I'm flipping from monorail to indoor water park, so I'm not even in office yet. I'm already a politician. I'm flip-flopping. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we have a text message at 204-780-6868. We would like to share just ahead of introducing our next guest. Greg, if you please. Typical. Typical herd mentality when it comes to people not following the rules. People in general are selfish, uncaring, and don't listen to or follow instructions unless forced, and even then are obstinate until they have been directly impacted by the situation. Too bad. Shut down everything to get your listener uses different word. I will use the word stuff together. I'm usually one for conspiracy theories, which is what raised my eyebrows here. But if the general population can't see this is real and not going away, then it's already too late. It's just not fair for the rest of us. And I know from where I speak, as I have been directly impacted by this and still have to work in it as a service tech for buildings and infrastructure, and I think I will probably end up bankrupt but still alive. My rant for the day, sorry, and thanks for the jobs you guys do, keeping the sheep informed. So a different perspective on the sheep terminology and someone who normally believes in quote-unquote conspiracy theories. Both Victoria Hospital and St. Boniface are dealing with COVID-19 outbreaks. This after Manitoba hit a new record for hospitalizations this weekend with 77 people in hospital, 15 in intensive care. The numbers are so startling, one local doctor turned to social media to make his own plea. His name is Dr. Philippe uh, Lagasse Weens, and he is a Winnipeg physician and medical microbiologist. In his weekend post, he wrote, So this is the real deal, folks. We have four hospital outbreaks going on now. Hospital staff are getting COVID-19 and cannot work, nor can their contacts. Resources are getting strained. ICUs are full. In all capital letters, Loren, we are on the brink. He goes on to say that people need to reduce their contacts. Quote, just because it's legal doesn't mean it's not really stupid, he writes. Without a turnaround, we are within days of being at the limit of ICU capacity. And remember, heart attacks, strokes, urgent surgery and pneumonia, they don't stop just because COVID-19 is around. Dr. Philip Legacy-Weens is our guest and joins us now. Good morning, doctor. Good morning. Pretty powerful and to the point post. What was the point that got you to write that on Saturday? Did you finally just hit your breaking point? 
Well, I, I think it really there's a number of issues that have been uh, brewing for a long time, and it did kind of hit a, uh, a culmination point here with a number of hospital outbreaks, a lot of community transmission, and hospital staff getting the disease really puts an enormous strain on the healthcare system. And it's getting to the point where we're not seeing the turnaround. I would have expected with the interventions that public health has, uh, has impacted or has requested. And so without that impact, we really need to demand a, a change uh, that has to happen relatively quickly because this is a slow disease. It takes a couple of weeks before we see any kind of response to a change. And uh, I would have expected it by now. And uh, I needed to, to get the word out that it needs to be done. Help people understand, uh, doctor, uh, what function the ICU serves, because there's not a finite uh, amount of ICU or intensive care unit resources in our city, and they're not just being used for COVID right now. What else do we have to keep in mind as it pertains to ICU resources? Yeah, well, so ICUs are used for the most critically ill patients uh, in the city, and uh, anybody who basically needs to have a supplemental oxygen or essentially a machine to breathe for them in one-on-one nursing care. And uh, it's used essentially when anybody is severely ill for any particular reason. So strokes and heart attacks and pneumonia and recent surgeries and uh, major burns, major trauma, brain trauma accidents. So there's a lot of reasons to end up in the ICU as long as there's severe medical uh, emergencies or, or surgeries. And in the background, we're also seeing that there's a lot of surgeries still going on, so people need those, and not even just uh, emergency surgeries. We're trying to catch up on elective surgeries as well. So that's a very finite resource. Um, Typically, we have 58 beds, uh, ICU beds in the city, so when you've got 15 of them filled up with COVID-19 patients, it uh, it takes away all those beds for other purposes. And, uh, and the staff is really the other critical component of it. Sure, we can add more beds, we can add more ventilators. Those items can be bought, but having staff ready and able to provide that service is a whole other story. And when you've got staff getting COVID-19 and being put into self-isolation for 14 days, many of them are young and healthy. They won't have the problem of, of, <clears throat> of severe disease, but they will have the problem of not enough staff. And so uh, with hospital outbreaks happening at the same time as community spread, we're, we're getting to really dire straits. It's almost like the perfect storm that you don't want to be in. Doctor, you at the end of your post, you wrote, the solution is clear. What say you on that solution? So the uh, most effective solution, as far as I can see, is for people to dramatically reduce their close contacts. This, this virus thrives in situations where people are in close contact with other people. It's the only way that it can spread. And so if people continue to have multiple close contacts, it's it's a double whammy. You get the disease to spread and you make it a lot harder for public health authorities to do their contact tracing and to identify all the people that you were in contact with to tell them to self-isolate. And so without the reduction in close contacts, this will continue to happen. So you can wash your hands all you want. You can wear your masks, which are really good uh, strategies. But without removing those contacts, those close contacts, nothing is going to get better. And so what I've advised people to do is stick to your stick to your household. Um, don't go out with multiple friends. Keep your circle as tight as possible. And I'm not naive enough to think that it's not important to keep businesses alive and to keep people uh, with, uh, with money to, uh, to supply for their families. So we can support our, our local enterprises in different ways. We can support them by buying gift certificates. We can support them by doing delivery. 
So I'm not saying shut down or lock down. Those are scary words. We know that it works, but we also know that it's extremely damaging to the economy and to mental health and to society in general. So I am trying to strike a balance here. Let's reduce our contacts and keep uh, the economy as as viable as possible. Based on what you're seeing in the hospital, uh, Dr. Legacy Weems, what's your fear? If we don't do that, what happens? I mean, just paint a picture for us of what you're already watching uh, in the halls of the hospital where you work. Well, the most frightening thing that's going to happen is that we're going to run out of space uh, or staff or both. Uh, you're going to get more and more staff that are unable to come to work because they are either positive or sick with symptoms and waiting for their test results or they're close contact to somebody who was positive. And uh, you're going to get beds filling up. You're going to get ICUs filling up. And then you're going to get individuals in the medical profession having to make really horrific decisions about who gets those resources. And it's not beyond what's already happened in developed countries to have to say, well, this is a 90-year-old man who has a stroke or a heart attack. We cannot provide for this person at all because there's a 65-year-old man with COVID who's in that bed. Um, And so people will die without the care that may have saved their lives or at least extended their lives for a number of years. So that is the most frightening picture that I'm worried about. And that's that's the break that I'm talking about is essentially a system that cannot cope with all of those other medical problems that people continue to have on top of COVID-19. We've got about 30 seconds or so here, Dr. Lagasse-Weens, and just this idea at the beginning of flattening the curve, that what you just discussed and, and highlighted and, and the story that you told, that's what flattening the curve is all about. And, and keeping people as safe as possible is so that people don't have to make choices like the ones you just outlined. That's right. And I think people have lost track of what flattening the curve means. It doesn't mean eradicating the disease. It means stopping these very sharp peaks that stress the healthcare system so much that it makes these decisions necessary. Dr. Philippe Legacy-Weens, Winnipeg physician, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you so much for your time, doctor. We appreciate it very much. My pleasure. Have a good day. Greg, a couple of text messages in reaction to our conversation with the doctor at 707. Yeah, if what Dr. Alagase-Weens has just said doesn't make people stand up and take note regarding smaller contact groups, nothing will. I work at St. B and I can personally tell you that no matter where you work in here, it will weigh on you heavily. Can you see that other uh, text message there, Loren? Yeah, and I think that, you know, what people are saying, what we just heard, he basically said, you know, his biggest fear is that they're going to run out of space at the hospital. He said, we're on the brink. They're worried about staff. They're worried about ICU beds. And it's not just for COVID patients. He said it's, you know, for heart attacks, brain injuries, all sorts of reasons you could end up in the ICU. And we don't want them to be full because of something that we can help control right now, which is COVID. And so the second texter wrote to say, the doctor really put it on the line. Thank you. And I hope to God that the right people are listening. Let us know what you think. 204-780-6868. A Winnipeg area family spent their weekend marking an anniversary none of us wish to have. On October 25th, 2019, Ethan Boyer was killed in a crash on the South Perimeter Highway near Brady Road. He was just 19. In the days following that crash, his family reached out to us here at CJOB, to truckers, to officials, asking for something to be done to make that stretch of the perimeter more safe. As we speak, construction to do just that is happening on that stretch of the perimeter. But the Boyers aren't done. They've also been working on a fundraiser 
in Ethan's name. And I remember getting the text message from one of our listeners informing us of the crash and the text message we received the next day from our next guest, Susan Boyer, is Ethan's mom and joins us now. Good morning, Susan. Our heartfelt uh, condolences to you one more time and a a great big virtual hug to you and your family. Tell us uh, about how you spent yesterday. Um. Well, good morning to you all. Uh, we spent the day, uh, we started out with breakfast at one of Ethan's uh, favourite restaurants, which is Cravings in Stonewall. Uh, the owner there, Linda, uh, has been a great support to us prior to the accident and, and after. She even made a, a beautiful wood, or had made a beautiful wood carving for of Ethan with his hockey gear and our dog, and his dog, Thanos. From there, um, Dana, Reed and I, we went to... Uh, the crash site, uh, we decided to do a roadside memorial uh, to honor Ethan. Um, that uh, memorial, it consists of uh, Ethan's uh, broken uh, CCM co- hockey stick that was uh, broken in the accident, along with, uh, which was Dana's uh, idea, was a chewed-up hockey puck um, added to it. Um, Ethan would always play hockey with our three dogs in the, the driveway every single day. And our golden, who was 16 and passed uh, this April, um, he was the goalie. And whenever he got the puck, he'd take it and take it in the bush and chew it up. So that was put on the memorial um, that was done there yesterday. And then after that, um, we came home and watched uh, Captain Marvel because um, as a family, we went to our, all the um, Avenger movies and the Star Wars movies together. And Captain Marvel was actually the last movie we went to um, as a family. So, and then we had um, one of Ethan's favorite dinners, uh, which was tacos. And um, we ended up, uh, it just so happened that tacos was the last meal we had with Ethan um, the night before his crash. So, yeah. And then we talked about um, memories of Ethan, and we shared that with family and friends, and we received tons of texts and Facebook messages. And it was a, it was a very um, sad um, but beautiful day uh, just with memories and, and, and talking about the Big E. I do want to follow up on the memorial, but just as a follow-up to your comment about the Marvel Universe, did you say the dog's name was Thanos? Uh, You got it. (laughs) And he doesn't have a mean streak in his body. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's wonderful. Now, listen, we've all passed uh, memorials like this. What are you hoping that people think when they see the one in Ethan's name? Well, to tell you the truth, I wish I could make it as big as big could be. Um, It's not that big, but... It's just like when I see memorials on the side of the road, I think, oh, my God, somebody passed here. And that, you know, I just wonder about the family and my thoughts always go out to the family. And I think, you know, people need to slow down. And I hope that happens there also. I mean, it's changed to 80 kilometers an hour. And we were driving yesterday and somebody just smoked us going uh, probably 110. And I just want people just to slow down. And and, and hopefully they see that and they might just think twice about speeding. Well, there's lots of things. I think uh, all of us, if we were in your shoes, you can't imagine what we, we'd go through. And so I want to thank you, first of all, just for being so forthcoming and honest with us, Susan. You've reached out several times, and we greatly appreciate it because, you know, I don't think any mom imagines what they would do in this scenario. And yet here you are. You're trying to make change on the South Perimeter Highway. You want people to pause there and not just think of even think about slowing down and saving someone else, else's life. Mm-hmm. And, and then you've got another charity you're in the works here. And it all has these connections with Ethan's love of hockey and animals in this case. So now you're also fundraising in Ethan's name. Tell us about that. <laughs> well, um, what happened was is at Ethan's service last year, we did a tin for the critter bin. And we had an abundance of food and donations made in Ethan's honor, which 
Reed and Dana and I delivered to probably about six or seven different uh, shelters in the city. Um, so this year we wanted to do kind of the same thing. We wanted to do something positive out of something so negative uh, in our life. Um, but, but because of COVID, it kind of took a twist because I didn't really want people dropping stuff off and then us picking it up or whatever. So um, with the help of Constable Shaylin Fenton from the RCMP, who uh, was the lead investigator at the crash from Headingley Detachment, she kind of took it on herself to start a fundraiser online. It was a, it was a challenge coin that RCMP and military do. She raised $650, and all the proceeds that she raised um, is going towards uh, food uh, for shelter for the canine advocates. And um, we're going today to pet value on Marion um, with the owners, uh, Tracy Johnson and Tom Thistlewaite. They've graciously donated, um, they're going to be donating food and um, some toys and stuff to add to the 650 that we're going to pick up today. So we're going to be dropping that off for Canine Advocates. And then we've asked all our friends and family uh, to donate in Ethan's memory to Canine Advocates. Um, and um, that money will help Canine Advocates uh, with all the animals that they rescue from up north and around. So that's, um, Yeah. Well, your graciousness in in the wake of this tragedy can just tell me one thing, Susan, and that's the fact that Ethan must be must have been an incredible young man. This outpouring of support, what you're doing in his honor, is absolutely overwhelming. It's making me cry and smile all at the same time. And Ethan Boyer Way is a reality as well as the province moves to create and build that service road uh, from Waverly to uh, Brady Road, which will make things a, a little bit more safe for those uh, using that stretch of the perimeter highway. It's an incredible legacy for your son. Thank you. And and like I said, um, if we could just get something positive of a sudden so negative, I mean, we, there has to be something, right? I mean, that's the only thing kind of keeping me going is this is trying to do something that Ethan would love to do. Like, he was, when he was in Greece, he'd send me pictures of all the cats and all the dogs that are walking in the streets, and he wanted to bring them all home. That was just him. Like, he'd bring cats home from, that he'd find in the ditch. Of course, we couldn't keep them, but we'd find them homes. So that, he, was just, he just loved animals so much, and our animals all miss him dearly, like our cats especially, because he would pick them up, and he was a tall guy, and he'd walk around with them around the house, and yeah. So uh, to do this, I know Ethan is is, is super uh, happy about it, and he's smiling on everyone and who's donated to any kind of charity, um, whether it's animals or or, or, or people for that matter. Um, but in particular, uh, the Canine Advocates. So if anybody's out there uh, wants to donate in Ethan's honor, that would be awesome. Also, I just wanted to say that if if the driver that's out there that um, killed Ethan, if he was listening or somebody from his business is listening, if they would donate in Ethan's honor. Uh, that would go a long way. As of today, we still don't know who that is. And um, it would show uh, our family, uh, help us in our, in our healing if, if that could happen. Um, and I also wanted to thank uh, CJOB um, for, for taking our story and, and listening to us and letting us express our feelings and, and for the fundraiser for Ethan's memory. And to, one more, and to Shailen, uh, Constable Shailen Fenton. She's now in Alberta, and she hasn't forgotten about us, which is amazing. And I just big hugs and kisses to her and all our family and friends. And I just wanted to say thanks again. 
Susan Boyer is the mother of Ethan Boyer, who was killed in a crash October 25th, 2019, on the South Perimeter Highway near Brady Road. And Susan, before we let you go, uh, I do think that something positive has come out of this as someone who used that stretch of road three, four times a week, sometimes as I would make my way out to LaSalle to play golf. Uh, At the beginning of the golf season in May, I noticed that people were speeding constantly uh people would blow by me doing 80 as the i was doing 80 and it was like i was standing still but by the end of the season uh for the most part people were i would say traveling at the appropriate speed uh, you'd see the odd speeder but it, it's gone down significantly in that stretch so i think people are getting the message great uh, good to hear that Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. And one of the questions we are asking you for a chance to win Santa Lucia pizza, if you were running for mayor, what would be your big campaign promise? Whether something serious or something silly. Don with a good one here. Don says my campaign promise would be to remove all the calming circles that do little to calm anyone and to develop more of the riverfront for community use, parks and recreation areas, for example. So keep your suggestions coming. 204 780-6868. Also, question of the day, cjob.com. It is brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. Friday afternoon's question, do the outbreaks of COVID-19 in care homes make you think twice about either you or a family member's likelihood of staying in one in the future? 73% say absolutely. 27% say not really. Cast your vote, cjob.com. We will get a new one up for you soon. And of course, as far as it goes with COVID-19, it can be hard enough to just avoid or to maintain proper physical distance as an adult. When I was a six-year-old, I was a huge brat and didn't want to listen to anybody, Loren. So if you told me to keep my distance, I'd probably not do it just to be a (laughs) spiteful, you know, uh, demon. Well, it almost goes against nature to stay away. You want to play, you want to have fun, you want to do all sorts of things together, and that includes your in-class learning. It's all very much about getting together in groups and working on problem solving. And we know physical distancing has been a big uh, challenge for schools, but they're working through it. I think it was uh, back in August when they first said, you know, try to be two meters apart and where you can't be one meters apart. Well, as of today... Schools in the Winnipeg region and northern Manitoba, they're being asked to make more space, move more furniture, work towards that two meters distancing. And where that's not possible, some kids are are going home today. They're back at home doing that remote learning in some of the older grades. Now, of course, this depends on which school you're in, which division you're in. Everybody is doing their best to do what they can to meet these new guidelines, but they are in effect as of today, and Mike Bjorkford is the superintendent of the Seine River School Division, and he joins us now to explain what's going on in his area. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Happy to be here this morning. Well, thanks for taking Uh, the time. I have to say, remote learning, uh, there are many parents, myself included, not my favorite thing, so I'm curious how many schools and classes in your division have had to go to remote learning in order to make that space for the younger grades. Well, every every school is a little different, so uh, it really depends on the space available in the school, so um, obviously, we've uh, the schools have been put in kind of a general plans if we went into orange for a two meter spacing, and uh, like anything, when this pandemic, you have to be re- ready to pivot really quickly. And very appreciative of the school leaders that we have and uh, the collaboration of our staff to do that. So uh, we have some schools that have started re- remote learning uh, as of uh, today with some students. Uh, one of the, I guess, one of the benefits of uh, March, April, May, June this past year is. 
we know which students have been successful and, and which uh, students were not as successful in remote learning. So uh, for, from our perspective, we're trying to get to uh, make sure that the early year students are in school every day and that we're looking at students who have been successful that we can support in classes. Uh, schools on Friday, uh, we're reconfiguring classes uh, a fair bit. Uh, some schools are using their gymnasiums uh, for classes to get the two meter spacing. Uh, libraries and other and other places and uh, schools started contacting uh, families uh, on Friday where they could not do the two meter spacing to uh, look at uh, students who could be successful in remote learning. Mike, uh, the fact that this wasn't mandated, the two meter spacing wasn't mandated from the get go in September is a little bit puzzling to a lot of parents and people taking a look at this when you had months and months to set up for this. And then you manage maybe uh, for the most part to pull this off over a couple of days, I, I think personally has me scratching my head. But that aside, is it clear as to why the province is mandating this move? Is it because of a clear spread within schools? What's your understanding as to, as to why we're making this move and making it now? I think my understanding is there has not been a lot of transmission at the schools level. Most of the transmission has been outside of schools, so schools are pretty safe. I think one of the things we keep on mentioning to our staff uh, and, and to our families is that we really have to make the assumption that uh, people are coming to school healthy and to not live and be anxious, but at the same time, uh, you know, wash your hands, maintain distance when you can, um, stay home when you're not feeling well, even if it's just a little off. And I think that's kind of been our primary message. And as, as far as the making this move right now, I think it's a preemptive just to, uh, you know, we've had this big spike in the last week and to try to uh, s slow down any potential spread. I think, you know, uh, I mean, we've been in a lot of conference calls with government and government has uh, consistently said to plan for orange, plan for different levels, uh, think about it. And I think like uh, this is a very fluid and changing uh, world we're living in and we have to be prepared to make changes sometimes suddenly. Everyone would like to have a little more time and a little more opportunity to uh, implement th uh, these things. And I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges when you look at uh, staff in our schools, everyone likes certainty. And when the when there's uncertainty, uh, people are a little more uncomfortable. We only have about 45 seconds, Mike, but I mean, this has to be challenging for teachers who are being asked to do in-class learning and remote learning. Uh, it's very challenging for our teachers. And I think one of the things is part of our, uh, part of our planning is uh, we do not want uh, paper packages having to go home. We don't want our teachers teaching in-class and virtually at the same time, unless it's for you know, a few students who are sick for a couple of days. So part of part of our uh, planning with where we're doing remote learning is to reposition some staff to so that teachers aren't having to do three different things at the same time. Mike Bjord Ford is the superintendent of the Seine River School Division joining us live on 680 CJOB. Mike, thank you very much for this. Thank you. You guys have a great day. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, here is the headline from NASA.gov. NASA to announce new science results about moon. This from July 20, 1969. Airman from the planet Earth, first set foot upon the moon, July 1969, TV. It came in deep. I guess you're about the only person around that doesn't have TV coverage of the scene. 
Landmark television and space exploration moment right there. NASA will announce an exciting new discovery about the moon from the Stratospheric Observatory for Infrared Astronomy, SOFIA for short, at a media teleconference today at 11 a.m., the National Aeronautics and Space Administration has been pointing today to today for a week or so now. The statement goes on to say this new discovery contributes to NASA's efforts to learn about the moon in support of deep space exploration, Loren. So we already know that the agency has said it's going to send the first woman and next man to the lunar surface in 2024 to, of course, prepare for that next big step in human exploration of Mars, which could come as early as the 2030s. To help us speculate on what we might hear today, we're joined by Scott Young, Manager of Science Communications and Visitor Experiences at the Manitoba Museum. Good morning, Scott. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I'm curious. Have you been given any hints as to what's coming today? Is this all about getting us to Mars at some point? You know, it's interesting. A lot of times when NASA makes an announcement like this, that they're going to make an announcement, they do send out sort of a primer to uh, various people to sort of get the get them ready to speak on it. Um, nothing has come out this time. So they're keeping things very, very close to the vest uh, this time around, which is which is kind of exciting. I mean, it certainly builds the excitement of what are they going to announce. Um, but there are, there are a couple of likely things. The, the way they worded the press release... They're sort of talking about, well, this will help us in terms of um, exploration of the moon, sending people back to the moon. We do have that, that uh, plan of getting humans to the moon again in the next uh, few years. So there are, there are a couple of topics that suggest themselves from that, I guess. Scott, uh, do we not know all there is to know about the moon by now, 51 plus years after we, we landed there? You know, it's funny. Um, no, we don't. Um, I mean, we still don't really know everything there is to know about certain regions of the earth either so um you do a quick survey and then generally people tend to go where the money is and the moon has not been where the money is essentially so we've got a a broad idea we know the moon is rock no water no air um plus 200 degrees in the sun and minus 150 in the shade not the kind of place you want to go without a spacesuit um but it's also the kind of place that is perfect for setting up observatories if you if for example we listen to uh radio waves to study big parts of the universe that we can't see with our eyes other people on the earth tend to use radio waves quite a lot though and so you get all this sort of background noise if you set up your radio telescope on the moon on the side facing away from earth you've got a built-in shield and suddenly your telescope becomes much much more sensitive um but building stuff on the moon is, is complicated unless there happens to be some building materials available right there. And I suspect that that's what this is related to, um, you know, uh, confirmation or the discovery of things like water ice near the near the polar regions of the moon or perhaps other kinds of uh, of elements that we could use to sort of construct um, either telescopes or human settlements or things like that. 50 years plus after landing on the moon for the first time, we are talking about going to Mars. What role is the moon going to play in that intention becoming reality? Pretty much testing. Um, the moon is only a day and a half away. And so if you have a problem, you can mount a rescue mission or something like that and, and go and get people and bring them back. Um, and of course, the, the plan for the moon is to have a space station like the one we have now, except in orbit around the moon. And that's only a few minutes away from the surface. So, so you've sort of got a, 
a better set of stepping stones to practice all of these technologies. But for Mars, it's a seven-month trip no matter how you cut it, and you can't come back until planets align again, which is about two years. So if you go to Mars, it's like hitching up your wagon and going across the Oregon Trail and, and heading out into the West like a pioneer. You're not, you're not visiting, you're moving. And uh, that's, a, that's a much bigger step. So the moon is going to be the place where we do all of that practice and testing and making sure everything from the, the food greenhouses that we'll have to build to um, the psychological uh, abilities of the crew all get worked out in advance so that when we do go to Mars, we're as, as ready as we can be. What do we get from these sorts of missions, Scott? You know, because there are those that will say, this costs billions of dollars. Why spend this kind of money? What do you say to that? Because there's more than just landing on the moon or landing on Mars that we get out of this. If I think back even just to the initial moon landing, all that we learned and, and satellites that grew out of that and the different experiences, I mean, there's, there's a ton of gain for these oh, yeah. types of experiences. Absolutely. I mean, going and getting rocks from the moon, um, yeah, they're rocks, big deal. But a whole generation of kids saw humans do the impossible and go to the moon and were inspired. And those people grew up and invented the iPhone and the computer and Wi-Fi and all of these things that we now base our entire civilization on. Uh, the inspirational value of this kind of exploration, I think, can't be underplayed um, the other thing that we learn about, though, is really about ourselves. Um, the Earth is a planet, and we live on it right now, and we can't really go back three billion years and see what things were doing then. We can't really fast forward into the future and see what happens if, you know, say we let global warming continue or we put more CO2 into the atmosphere or whatever. But by studying other planets, we can see those results. We see on the moon... We see what happens when there's no ozone layer and there's radiation and things like that. We can study that. When we go to Mars, we can see what happens when all the oceans dry up. There used to be oceans on Mars, and now they're gone. We'd like to know what kinds of things can cause that so that we can avoid it ourselves. So really, when we, it, it's funny. When we go out into the universe and we explore all these distant things, what we're really learning about is how we fit into that big universe. Scott Young, Manager of Science Communications and Visitor Experiences at the Manitoba Museum, joining us live on CJOB. Always a pleasure, Scott. Thanks for talking to us. No problem. Always fun, guys. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.